Unmistakable evidence has established the fact he is the creator and sustainer of all the worlds. Welcome to the Truth 316 Podcast, the place that we honor that all scripture is given by inspiration of God. Our prayer is that the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of glory, may give us the spirit of wisdom and revelation in the knowledge of Him. Welcome to Cornerstones, the Doctrines of God series of classes. I'm Thad Kino, and I'm looking forward to sharing with you today. We have a new series here at Cornerstone on the Doctrines of God. This series is set up to be an introduction to the primary biblical doctrines that are believed here at Cornerstone Church. Several facilitators, led by Pastor Matt Grimm, are teaming up together to look at several major themes that will be further broken up into specific related doctrines. In my portion of our look into the gospel series, I will begin today with our look at the atonement. So with that, let's go ahead and jump in. So our look at the gospel is really session four of the entire series, but uh, these classes can be taken in any order. And we will begin with our series on the atonement. The atonement is an English word that we use to translate the biblical word that goes all the way back to the book of Genesis. You may have heard many describe the word atonement with the broken compound of at-one-ment. This is correct. The English word is indeed an attempt to the literal description of its meaning. Here we have a look at its uh, derivation from the medieval Latin, um, which means unity, and earlier one meant from the absolute verb one to unite. And this is where we have our word um, that ends up as a tone, comes back all the way to the medieval ages, as we said, and it uh, means to be in harmony with or to agree or to be in accordance, literally at one. It's a contraction at the end of at one. Um, It denotes unity or reconciliation, especially between God and man. Now, although this is true in one respect, its origin in Hebrew has an expansive range to its meaning. And as we are covering this as a major topic, we would uh, do well to take some time to get to know its biblical use and meaning in a deeper way. Let's take a look at the Hebrew origin of atonement. So on our first slide here, we see make yourself an ark of gopher wood Make rooms in the ark and cover it inside and out with pitch. Here is our first experience with the use of the Hebrew word we translate typically as atonement or atone. Can you see where it is here? It is the noun form in the last word of the verse, translated here as pitch. So let's take a look at the next slide here. So what is pitch? Well, of the dozens of various uses and meanings, in this case here, It describes a sticky, resinous, black, or dark brown substance that is in semi-liquid form when hot, and it's hard when it's cold. It is obtained by distilling tar or petroleum and is used for waterproofing. We can shorten this use as covering or cover. That being said, now can you see the second use of our word atone in this same verse? Here it's in the verb form. Yep, 
it's where it says cover it inside and out. So it's a verb to here that means to cover or to smear. So we can see that it's used twice in this sentence or in this verse uh, and cover it inside and out with pitch. Now, it may be worth questioning here, why would the Lord have Noah cover it both on the inside and out? So with that question, I'll uh, actually leave you to ponder that on your own time. But uh, typically, you would just cover things or pitch them on the outside. Now that we see its earlier use in Genesis, let's go ahead and do a word study from the Hebrew. So on the next slide here, we see it uh, broken down for atonement, and we see this Hebrew word that is uh, got the pronunciation of kofar. And we see that it has 17 occurrences. It's translated in the authorized version uh, as ransom eight different times. It says sanctification, bribe. Here we see um, also pitch that we find in Genesis, a sum of money, and then uh, once as village, which is kind of a uh, off thing. But don't forget that there's words that are used for different purposes, just like we have in English. So here you can see a gloss of the noun use of the Hebrew word kofar. You can see several uses of the word, but we are probably probably best to see it as the root of cover or covering. We might even use it like this in our vernacular today. Like for example, when I forget my wallet, you may say to me, hey, here's 10 bucks for the cover or in the verb form, don't worry, I have you covered. With that, let's take a look at its verb use. Now, as we can see the verb use here, this is an action word. Uh, we, use it when we, we can use it when we think back to Noah's Ark he was commanded to cover it with pitch, that is to pitch it with pitch, or to cover it with covering. So now we have a pretty good handle on this, but let's go ahead and take one more look at one of its derivations. The next slide. Here we have from Leviticus. Uh, now on the 10th day of the seventh month is the day of atonement. It shall be for you a time of holy convocation, and you shall afflict yourselves and present a food offering to the Lord. Here we see the use of the word to commemorate the feast of Yahweh known as the Day of Atonement. So here's a question. What is this day known as even as we have it in our modern calendars? The Day of Atonement is known as Yom Kippur. So Yom Kippur is a Hebrew word. Uh, Yom is the word translated day. And then Kippur here is the Day of Covering or Hakapurim is the Day of Atonement, and it's translated that way eight different times here as Atonement, the Day of Atonement. So Yom HaKapurim, Ha is just the article, so meaning the direct article here for Kapurim. So we will talk more about this Day of Yom Kippurim um, in a bit, but let's first, let's go ahead and take a look at the seriousness of sin. We may as well go right back to the beginning. The disobedience of Adam and Eve and the eating of the forbidden fruit was mankind's first sin. Let's read the account immediately after. So from Genesis 3, starting in verse 7, Then the eyes of both were open, and they knew that they were naked, and they sewed fig leaves together, and made themselves loincloths. They heard the sound of the Lord God walking in the garden in the cool of the day, and the man and his wife hid themselves from the presence of the Lord among the trees of the garden. But the Lord God called to the man and said to him, Where are you? And he said, I heard the sound of you in the garden, and I was afraid, because I was naked, and I hid myself. And God said, Who told you that you were naked? Have you eaten of the tree of which I commanded you not to eat? So, of course, we could talk about this count for hours uh, and expound upon it, but let's look at some highlights that are relative to our discussion here today. First off, 
Adam and Eve are now conscious that their sin is exposed. Shame has come upon them. So the question is, what did God warn them would happen if they ate of the fruit? And of course, the answer is that they would surely die. But notice, their first concern here is no longer the fear of God, but rather the fear of what the other person might think. So they cover themselves and they cover their shame from one another first. Then they dive into the bushes when they hear the Lord is present. By the way, in making their own garments, they also perform the first religious or false religious act. Doing this, they try to humanly cover their sin to retain some sense of righteousness. Now let's see how God's mercy shines through. The next verse uh, here uh, that we're looking at is Genesis 3.21, and it says, And the Lord God made for Adam and for his wife garments of skins and clothed them. God lets them know their acts are not only insufficient, but unrighteous. So what does God do? Well, first he rules from the high court. He proclaims and seals judgment upon the serpent and the new lifestyle of mankind. He then offers the future solution to the conquering of sin altogether by the seed of the woman, which is clearly a reference to the virgin birth of Christ. But what does God then do in that moment? Let's take a look at the next slide here. Um, in Hebrews 9:22, it says, Indeed, under the law, almost everything is purified with blood, and without the shedding of blood, there is no forgiveness of sins. So what does God do? He clothes them. He is the only one who has the ability to cover their shame, to cover or to take away and to restore and to reunite the relationship. And how or with what does God clothe them? With the skins of an animal. This shows that there must have been a sacrifice. An innocent animal's blood was used as a substitute to pay the death penalty due to Adam and Eve. Now my question is, did this animal's blood forgive their sins? The answer is no. It was only a temporary and symbolic act. How do we know this? Well, let's take a look at the next slide. From Hebrews 9, we jump to Hebrews 10, and it says that it's, For it is impossible for the blood of bulls and goats to take away sins. When he, that is Christ, said above, you have neither desired nor taken pleasure in sacrifices. Behold, I have come to do your will. He does away with the first in order to establish the second. And by that we will have been sanctified through the offering of the body of Jesus Christ once and for all. So the question is, can an animal sacrifice forgive sin? No, it says it's impossible. But how about for God? Yes, through the second person of the Trinity, the offering of Jesus once and for all. For all, meaning all those for whom Christ died, all who would ever respond in the true and living faith, both in the Old Testament and the New Testament. So the question is, how serious is sin? Well, it's so infinitely serious that it took an infinite God to atone for it, to cover it, to seal it forever. The redemption, that is the price paid to buy back his chosen people. Wow, uh, this is a heavy topic. Yeah, it's very weighty. And as I think about it even further, it's, uh, it's heavy, like the weight of a cross carried by a perfectly righteous man to bear my sin and yours. In the second part of our look at the atoning work of God, we will investigate two subcategories, propitiation and expiation. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for this time to study your word and look at these doctrines that are so important to us that we, we know and understand. And Lord, we thank you for your atoning blood, the blood that covers our sins, that takes them away. And as we get ready to look at this even further, we ask that your spirit would come upon us and open up our ears to the hearing of your word. And we thank you for it in Jesus' name. Amen.